Amen, church. Well, we have been in a series called Serpents and Doves, and this has been a really, uh, really tough series. Uh, you know, just a lot of ways that we can learn how to live as sheep amongst wolves. And in order to do that, Jesus says that we must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And uh, we're going to be concluding our series today. Pastor Josh Knight is going to be uh, concluding that with the last sermon in this series. Uh, and so today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, and so if you would open your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, there is a blue one under the seat in front of you, and that's going to be on page 600, uh, and you know, if you don't have a Bible, please, please go ahead and just take that one. We'd love for you to have it, uh, but today we're going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 15, starting in verse 29 to the end of the chapter in verse 33, and so if you would, if you're able, would you stand with us as we read this? And we believe that this is a gift of God, his word is a gift that he has given us, and we believe that this word has authority over our lives. We want to align our lives to what it says, not the other way around. And so in honor and reverence to God's word, let's stand and, and read this. This is Proverbs chapter 15. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning, Flourish of Grace. So lively. That's amazing. It's good to be back with you guys. I was gone uh, last Sunday, 9.15 this morning. Everybody came in like super late and they're just all tired. I was tired. And man, but you guys, 11 o'clock, we're ready to rock and roll. So as John said, um, yeah, my name is Josh Knight, pastor of Preaching and Vision. It's good to be with you. This is your first time ever at Flourishing Grace. We're concluding a series this morning. We're wrapping it up. We're kind of closing the book. Um, and so if you're like, wait, I missed the whole thing, it's okay. You can find it all online, flourishinggrace.org slash listen. You can find it all there. We are going to kind of jump into some things this morning. We don't have time to go back and unpack all of it. Um, and so there might be some moments where you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I might be referencing some things from the past four weeks. Um, and that's, it won't be too confusing, I hope, uh, for you. But I do want to kind of just again, I mean, just say, man, how do we as a church engage the culture of our day. That's what we've been looking at in this series, Serpents and Doves. As John said, kind of from that text in Matthew 10, where Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So, right, you must be, you must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is how we as a church survive. And it's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years, right? This, this, this idea of standing out amongst the culture being this beacon of light, a beacon of hope, a beacon of peace to a, a world that's, that's lost in darkness, that we would be masters of the maze. If you were here two weeks ago, right, I talked about this idea that I mean, the whole world is in, lost in this insanely complex way. And everybody says, I mean, there's no wrong way. Find your, find your own way. If you can't find your own way, make your own way. Create your own way. But the word of God, Jesus tells us there's one singular way. And we're the people for 2,000 years who said, actually, I know the way. That you can come with me. You can join with me on the way. Like, come join with me. And for 2,000 years, the church has stuck out, stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, like, that's a weird saying. I just thought of that just now. It's a, stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, 
the church has stuck out in a weird way um, in, in the light of culture. Culture looks so differently than the way of the church. And I do think that we are at um, another one of those moments. The moment never ends, but there's certain times, certain seasons where it is amplified, it's magnified. And the church, if rightly, is following the way of Jesus, contrasts the world in a massive way. This has been true since the very beginning, uh, 2,000 years ago. In, in Rome, Rome had a practice of this day uh, known as exposure. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Uh, you, can, you can Google it later if you want to be depressed. But in, in Rome, if, if a family or if a, if a mother no longer wanted her child, the practice of the day, legally and rightly, uh, she could just leave the baby in, in the street, just kind of leave it there, right? If the baby was born out of wedlock or the baby was born with some malformity or the baby was born and just unwanted, legally you could just leave your baby in the street. In fact, normally in Roman cities and Roman towns, it's believed that there was actually kind of a place in the town where you would go and you would kind of leave your baby there and kind of everybody knew. It's like, well, if you want a baby for some reason, like, you should look there. Like, that's the place where moms leave their, their unwanted babies. As the Roman armies kind of conquered the known world, as they would come through, if a city refused to surrender, right, they would march in, they would destroy, they would kill all of the men, they would rape and enslave all the women, and then they would just leave the, leave the children. They would just leave them in one place in the city. And 2,000 years ago, this strange group of people, followers of a new way, followers of this person called Jesus, would come through following behind the Roman army, and they would collect these children and they would nurse them, and they would care for them, and they would raise them, and they would go to the places in these Roman cities and towns, um, and they would, they would look regularly for these kids, and they would collect them, and they would raise them, and they would nurse them. This, this idea of adoption at this way, in, in just a compassionate way rather than a selfish way, was a foreign concept. The people of Rome were like, I don't understand. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Like, why, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that, like why, why, why would you do that? out of compassion rather than selfishness. Why would you ever want to do that? It wasn't just babies, though, right? Truth is, 2,000 years ago, women were treated a little bit different than they are today. Um, in fact, if you look at every kind of major uh, civilization, every major kind of party that's ever ruled the entire kind of known world, the, Babylon, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Assyrians, uh, the Romans, and the Greeks, right? When we, when we study their cultures, right, we, we look at women, and women were insanely oppressed. In Babylon, it was actually a law that if, if, if the wife did not please her husband and keep the house in order, by law, the husband could drown her. That's how it worked in Babylon, ladies. I mean, we've got it pretty good today. We've come a long way. We've come a long way. That was, that was the law in Babylon. That's, that's how it worked. And when we look at every single one of those major civilizations throughout history, we see the same thing. We see the oppression of women. E even in Rome, which we see as a kind of a, an advanced society, women weren't allowed to control finances or have some sort of career in, in banking or things like that. They weren't allowed to do that. In fact, they weren't even allowed to leave the home. And in Rome, if a, if a Roman wife wanted to leave the house, she had to have her husband to go with her into the marketplace and into the, into the town square and into the city. This is how it was. Until along comes this group of women. Uh, historians estimate that the, that the church in Rome, the early followers of Jesus in Rome, were about two-thirds women. And most of those women were actually slaves. And they began to live differently than everybody else. 
because they had a different king and a different kingdom ethic. A king who in his own day in first century Israel, a culture that said women should, uh, should, should serve rather than learn, Jesus says, no, 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 come, come sit at my feet. He actually welcomed women to come and sit and learn the kingdom ethic from the king and then go live that out in a broken and dying world. This was something that the world had never seen before. They had never seen this before. And so uh, along the way, the world tries to adopt the ethics of the kingdom while rejecting, while rejecting the king. And it never works. The world says, I like that, and they want to bring that in. But then they reject the actual king himself. And so they try to have it on their own terms and in their own way. And again and again and again, they never have any ground to stand on. It never works. The reality is, is if, if, the, if the way of the world is true, and we all kind of 3.5 billion years ago evolved from some single-cell organism in some miraculous way, if that's actually true, then it is survival of the fittest. Then you have no rights. If I can dominate you, then I should be able to dominate you. If you can dominate me, which you probably can, uh, you should be able to dominate me. Like, that's just how it is. We, we, there's, no, there's no human rights. There's nothing that makes you more special than any other animal or any other planet, right? Have you, have you watched planet Earth? Like, do you know how it works? It's not pretty. But the people of Jesus for 2,000 years have said, that's not how it is. We have a greater king, a king who has created us, formed us, shaped us, molded us in his own image, after his own likeness. The people of Jesus cling to Genesis 1 and believe that that same God that created us in his own image has bestowed upon us worth and dignity and value and purpose and meaning it's not something that we've just kind of mustered and we can't, we don't just say, I have worth and I have value and I have meaning. If Darwin is right, then no, you don't. But if the people of Jesus are right, you do. But not because you say you do, because a king has given it to you. You cannot accept the ethic of the king and reject the king. And so kind of this whole series as we've been walking through this, kind of my hope has been, I mean, how do we flourish in grace? How do we live this out in our day? And as we look at the past 2,000 years, we can look at these amazing moments where the church has been successful in obedience to the king. But we can also look at a many, many, many moments where they've failed. And every single time the church fails, every single time, Followers of Jesus fail to be obedient to the ethics of the kingdom and to their king. The whole world is cast into chaos and craziness. When the church in Germany fails in the 1930s and 40s, it is the church that fails. It's followers of Jesus who adopted kind of the, the social norms of their day rather than standing against it and allowing it to just beat against them. They say, oh, let's just go with it. It's, it's the church in America in the 16 and 17 and 1800s that adopted the cultural norm of the day, that not everybody's created equal, that we're not all the same. And they adopted the practice of and participated in chattel slavery, willingly. None of that 
flowed out of a kingdom ethic. It flowed out of a worldly ethic. And every time the church fails to uphold the kingdom ethic, the whole world is thrown into chaos. We're still dealing with the pain. We're still dealing with the sorrow. We're still dealing with the scars. The failure of followers of Jesus to actually follow Jesus. It was not the way of Jesus that welcomed those things in, but rather the way of the world that was let into, let into the church. It was actually Darwin that said, listen, uh, the, the, the African has not fully evolved to become human yet. That's the way of Darwin. So what Darwin, that was Darwin's logic. It was, it was the reason why their skin was dark and not light. And as that worked in its way into the church, the church says, well, then, therefore, they are not human created in the image of their creator. They have not been bestowed the same worth and dignity and meaning and purpose and significance that I have, and therefore, slavery. It's okay. Every single time we fail, every single time we move towards culture rather than moving towards Jesus, the entire world is thrust into brokenness. And I believe that we are at a moment where this divergence between the way of the world and the way of Jesus is once again becoming greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. And I know, I know the past few weeks, John said it when he was just up here a minute ago, he said the past few weeks have been hard. There's a lot of things we've talked about. No one has walked out of here the past few weeks like happy um, and excited and like totally peaceful. And I know that and I understand that. And I promise this is the last week. We're turning the page. We're going to move into something else next week. But it's important. It's really, really important. And what I want to do today in kind of this final, final moment of this series is just get really, really practical and talk about you. Talk about us. Talk about Flourishing Grace Church. Okay? The whole time, this, isn't, this is not a political thing. It's not like, man, I hope everybody votes this way or votes that way. It's no. And how do we, as Flourishing Grace, I, I, don't, I don't care what everybody else is doing out there. I, I don't care what anybody else you're following on social media is doing. How do we, as Flourishing Grace, Remain faithful to Jesus. How do we keep him front and center as our king, as we live in the world, but not out of the world? How do we live wise as serpents and innocent as doves, embracing the way of Jesus, reminding ourselves every day that we are sheep and that every day we live among wolves? How do we do this as a church? I want to give you three really, really practical things that I think we can all actually begin to implement in our lives Three things that we can actually, simple, simple, simple things, not complex, that I really hope that us as Flourishing Grace, and I know not everybody in the room calls Flourishing Grace Church home. Some of you are visiting today. Some of you came on with a family member. Some of you are just like popping in for the first time ever. I'm sorry. Go catch up online. Um, Three things that keep us rooted in the way of Jesus, his kingdom ethic, fixated and focused on him rather than being sucked into the way of the world, or even worse, the way of the world being sucked into flourishing grace. We do not want that. We want to cling to Jesus. So I'm going to give us three things this morning. Um, first, as we, as we walk through this text, as we walk through this passage, the first thing we see in verse 29, if you're following along in your Bible, um, in the proverb, in verse 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. First thing I want you to see is this. Prayer is our primary work. 
When it comes to how the church, how followers of Jesus, engage in the culture of their day, it doesn't matter anywhere in the past 2,000 years, what is our primary work? The primary work of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is prayer. It's not running for office. It's not taking up some cause and, and marching in some protest or, or, or posting a bunch of stuff on social media. Like, that's not the primary work of followers of Jesus. Our primary work in culture is prayer. That is our primary work. And I'm not saying don't run for office and try to change it from the ground up. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying don't have a cause that you're passionate about and go, go march in a protest for that cause. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying don't post up on social media. Unless it's unkind or hateful, don't do that, right? But if it's positive, go post all you want. But your primary role must be prayer. Why? Because the Lord is far from the wicked. The world is not going to change suddenly. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and read the news and say, Oh my goodness, a 25% increase in joy. Like, not going to happen. I've said it again and again and again and again. I know it feels bad. I know this moment, this cultural moment that we live in feels dark and it's confusing and it's hard. But here's the thing you got to realize. It's not getting any better. Happy Sunday. I hope you have a good one. All right? It's not going to get better. It's not. You're not going to like start tomorrow. We're going to wake up and the headline is global. We found a cure for every global pandemic ever. No, it's just like there's another one. It's constant like monkey pox. What's going to be next? I have no idea, but there's going to be another one. Okay. It just keeps coming. It's not, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and ever, all of a sudden it's all going to be better. It doesn't, it's not going to work that way. The Lord is far from the wicked. The world has no idea, no concept, no understanding of their need for a greater king. They, they don't see it. And they're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, Jesus is better. It's not going to happen. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, the world around us. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has binded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has blinded the minds of our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and everybody around us in the world who's not a follower of Jesus, he's blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the glory of Jesus, the glory of a greater king. The world does not know their need for a greater king. The, the world does not know their, their need for, for one to lead them and guide them. They know they're, they, they understand that it's broken. They understand that there's certain things that aren't working. Hey, this, this part of the kingdom ethic looks better. Let's adopt that. They don't understand that you cannot take the kingdom and reject the king. It does not work that way. It doesn't work. And again and again and again, we could be here all morning. I could give you 50 ways in which the world has done that. It's backfired horribly again and again and again and again. The world does not know their need for a greater king, but we do. And he hears the prayers of the righteous. We are the lifeline of the world. We know the world's greatest need. It's Jesus. We know it. And he, 
our king and our God. He hears our prayers. We are the lifeline of the world. I love how Oswald Chambers kind of famously put it. Uh, so many people have kind of taken this quote and they've turned it around. They've used it in so many different ways. But Oswald Chambers said it this way. He says, prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work, right? Prayer is not this thing that we as Christians do in order to get ready to do something great. Prayer is what we do. It is our primary work. When it comes to the world, when we see the world that is suffering in darkness, suffering in brokenness, prayer is our primary work. It does not mean that we don't reach in and get our hands dirty. We wade into the darkness, just like our king waded into the darkness for us. But prayer is our primary work. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The church Followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus. That's what I mean when I say the church. True followers of Jesus, people who love him more than they love anything in the world, cannot fail. They cannot fail in prayer. We can fail in a lot of things, but we cannot fail in prayer. We cannot fail in prayer for our enemies. Did the church in Germany during the Holocaust fail to pray for the Jews? Yes. Did the Southern Baptists in the 1600s, 1700s fail to pray for black slaves? Yeah, and for a long time after that, y- yes, yeah. When we fail to pray, when we fail to pray into our culture and pray for our culture, the way of Jesus becomes tarnished, the light grows dim, and the world does not sing it, see it anymore. In order for the world to see the Savior, the person of Jesus, we cannot fail in prayer. So here's the first practical thing I want to give you this morning. First, first practice. We can all put this into practice. You can put this into practice today, this morning. You can, you can, you can do this. You can do it right now. It's, it's to pray the news rather than read the news. Binger talked about this a little bit actually last Sunday in, in kind of the category in the middle where we talk about and just kind of avoiding it all, just like not reading the news, right? We want to be a people who do not read the news. Stop reading the news. Don't read the news. Pray the news actually carve out time to not just read news articles or read headlines or read your stupid tweets, um, but to actually pray the news, to, to pray the news, to actually look at what's going on in the world. Let's see what's happening in the, in the world today. Um, let's see, top, top stories of today. Uh, oh, sweet. Uh, we're going to find bodies for weeks. Kentucky death toll rises to 26 from historic flooding. What? What are you going to do about that? Like, what are you going to do today about that? You get on a flight to Kentucky. Maybe you could donate some money, but ultimately, like, they're already dead. What are you, what are you going to do about it? Like, what, what are you going to do about it? Um, Boston Celtics, great Bill Russell, 11-time NBA champion, has died at 88. Sad news. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to, what's going to, what are you going to do? What, what, what are you going to do? Hey, war with Russia enters a new phase as Ukraine readies for southern counterblow. Okay. Well, what are we going to do about that one? Again, we could, we could, send, we could send donations. We could, we could give money. We could, we could uh, take in refugees. But ultimately, 
again and again and again. It's just more. Hey, President Biden has a COVID again, right? Didn't he have it like two weeks ago? I don't understand how is it that fast. But anyways, again, like what are you going to do about it? The reality is that the world around us sees the same headlines as you and I see. And they are far more helpless than you and I. There's literally nothing they can do. You might be able to pick one headline and, and, and give a ton of money or resource if you have the means to do that, but you can't save them all. You can't save them all. So what are you going to actually do about it? Like, what are you going to actually do about it? Every single one of us in this room can lean into every single one of those headlines. We can pray for every single one of those families in Kentucky that have lost loved ones in a horrible, horrible, tragic way. We can pray for them. We can pray for those who are in Ukraine and who are suffering because prayer is our primary work. We can pray for President Biden that he would have a healthy recovery from COVID again, however that works. We can, we can actually pray for every single one of these things, we have a tool, we have a resource, we have a king who is sovereign over all things. And we as true followers of Jesus, we cannot forget this. We must pray the news. And remember that prayer is our primary work in the culture of our day. You can lean in, you can engage in every single headline through prayer. The next verse, 20, uh, th- sorry, 30 The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. What does that mean? The light of eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. As the world increases in its hopelessness, they will look for the light in your eyes. They will listen to you for good news that refreshes the bones. The farther The world drifts into the maze. The farther they drift into chaos, the brighter the light in your eyes and the more attractive the good news that comes from your mouth, the more it refreshes their bones. The world is looking for a way out. They might not even know it. They might not see it, but you actually have it. There's a a reason. There's a a reason why there are people in our lives that love Jesus more than they love anything in the world, and they are refreshing to us. Even to me, there are people in my life that love Jesus so much, and every time I'm around them, I'm encouraged and inspired and moved, right? The light in their eyes is attractive to me. The good news on their lips refreshes my bones. It's what it does in me. And I don't have to stand up here and tell you all the stats and all the, and all the problems that are going on in the world. We know that depression and anxiety were on the rise well before 2020, and in 2020 and 2021, like, that spiked by 25%. By 25%, over 15% of adolescents in our country are struggling with anxiety and depression. Um, it's, uh, what, what is the stat? It's um, suicide. In the past year, one out of every 20 Americans have had serious suicidal thoughts. One out of every 20. There's like 60 to 80 people in this room. That's like three or four of us in this room have had serious suicidal thoughts in the past year. In the past year. Do you know what the number one statistical reducer in uh, deaths of despair is? Deaths of despair being suicide, drug overdose, uh, alcohol poisoning, right? You know what the number one statistical reducer in that is? Anybody? Weekly church attendance. 
drops it by five times. It's the number one stat. It's like the one, number one statistical reducer of suicide or deaths of despair is weekly church attendance. Why? Why, why is that? Because the light in the eyes rejoices the heart and the good news refreshes the bones. We must, the second thing I want you to see, we must stay salty. The church must stay salty. You gotta, you gotta stay salty. The, the, we must. Jesus puts it this way. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Matthew 5 and his magnum opus, the Sermon on the Mount on the kingdom ethic. You are the salt of the earth. It's who you are. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. It's going to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We must stay salty. If you want to be, if we are going to be the light in the eyes of the world, if Jesus is going to shine through us, if the good news of Jesus is going to be refreshing to their bones, we must stay salty. We must keep to him. If this is going to be, if the beacon of hope is going to be followers of Jesus, Jesus in us, we must stay salty. If the people of Jesus stand as a non-anxious presence in an anxious world, because Jesus himself is our peace, the world is losing their minds. But the people of Jesus should be the most, people, most peaceful people in the entire world. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. How often? At all times. At all times. In every way. The Lord be with you all. At all times. And in every way. In every season. No matter how hard. No matter how dark. No matter what you're going through. Jesus can give us peace at all times and in every single way. Colossians 3, Paul says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let it rule in your hearts. Let Christ and his peace, the Prince of Peace, rule in your hearts. He is our King. He is our Prince of Peace. Jesus puts it this way in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes, the world is not getting better, but we constantly, in every way, at all times, can have peace in Christ. How? How do we live in this peace? How do we do that? Here's the second practical thing I want to give you this morning. Super, super, super practical. We have to stop escaping and start renewing. Stop escaping and start renewing. What I see when I look at the world, and even when I look at my own life, is a pattern of escape rather than renewal, right? Escape says, I can do this, I can get through this, I can, I can, I can figure this out, I just need like a five minute break. I, I just, give me, just, give me a, just give me a break, I just need a few minutes to get myself together and then I'll get right back into it and I'll get it done. I just need to escape for a minute. It will not work. You will return the same person to the same situation or a worse situation than before. Any, anybody in the room ever, ever go on vacation and you, you get, 
you take your, you spend thousands of dollars and you take your family to Disneyland and you think this is going to be amazing and you come back more stressed out, more tired, more anxious, more angry than you were when you left. Has anybody ever experienced that before? The rest of you are all liars. I don't believe you. <laughs> we seek escape. I just need to get away for a minute. I just need to get away from my email for a minute. I just need to get away from my, get off my phone for a minute. But, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll just get right back into it. For 2,000 years, the church has been practicing renewal, not escape. Knowing that it's actually Jesus who carries us through, not us who's doing all the work and accomplishing everything on our own. I need renewal of my heart and my mind. I need to re-engage with Jesus and be reminded of his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his love and his affection and the power of the resurrection that is in me so that I can return to the world being carried by him. I'm not trying to fight it all on my own. We do this in kind of three different ways, right? We have a daily renewal. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus have been practicing daily renewal, morning and evening, time in the Word. And I promise you, if you are not in the Word every day, this simple practice of being with Jesus every single day will, elite, will instantly um, reduce anxiety and depression in your life. If, you, if you're not doing that, it will instantly reduce anxiety in your life. Reminding yourself every morning who your king is and how your king views you and sees you, your identity before that king. And every evening confessing where you've fallen short of that and reminding yourself again of who your king is and where he has led you that day and what he has revealed to you that day and his glory and his beauty that day. If you practice every day spending time with your king, it will reduce your anxiety and your sorrow and your depression. It, it is impossible if you seek to allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart every single day. But then the, for 2,000 years, the church has also practiced weekly renewal, right? We call it Sabbath. Every, every week we gather in this place, in this space, not to retreat, not to take a break, not to be entertained with some songs or some goofy guy up here talking about the Bible. That's not why we gather. We don't gather here so that our kids will kind of grow up going to church. That's not why we gather. We gather to do what we call the work of worship. It's work. We gather here to work, but work in a different way. We work in our hearts and our minds to seek renewal. This is why we begin every gathering with a call to worship. If you come in late, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We begin, which is most of you, we begin every gathering with a call to worship. We remind ourselves of the sovereignty, the greatness, the beauty, the vastness, the majesty, the wonder of our God. That we would stand in awe of Him. The things that the world has robbed us of, we put back into us. We move into a time of confession. We remind ourselves of our failure to keep that image of Jesus in front of us all day, every single day. We confess that together, and we repent, and we turn back to him. We're filled, and we resent out into the world to do it all over again. It's a liturgy, a weekly rhythm. And we remember these things. We, oh, yeah, read your Bible, go to church, got it. But we're failing at it. It's creating sorrow and despair in us. But there's one more. I think that we need to seriously consider having seasons of renewal throughout the year. The world calls it vacation. But the church, Flourishing Grace, we need to approach it with a mindset of renewal, not escape. And I'm not saying don't go on vacation. 
Get, go on vacation. Go, go have fun. Get, go, go take your kids to Disneyland or go take your spouse on that incredible trip that you want to go on. Go do that. But approach it with a mindset of renewal, not just, okay, what do I need to pack? And don't forget your phone charger and don't forget this thing and that thing. What's the agenda? Where are we going to do? Where are we staying? Da, 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 da. Do we have the tickets? We got the flights? We got the, we the, no. What's your plan for renewal? Do you have a plan for renewal? I went camping with some friends uh, the past few days. Most of them are sitting here in the second row. Um, And they're all like, my kids didn't have their phones because we had no self-service and no electricity. And they're like, it was amazing. Like, they're like in the woods, like playing with sticks. I've never seen them so entertained without their phones before. They're not scrolling mindlessly for hours. Like, what is happening? This is incredible. Like, no, no, no. It's actually very simple. You could actually do that on any vacation, anywhere you ever go. You can just say, hey, we have a plan for renewal for this time, and we're not going to take our phones, and we're actually going to have a kind of a family devotional together, and we're going to sit in the Word. And, and the purpose of this vacation, yes, is to have fun and connect as a family, but it's, it's for us to grow closer to Jesus. And in order to do that, man, there, here's some things that we have going to put in place. Let's just be realistic. Let's say simple little goals. We're not going to have our phones. We're going to read one book. Not crazy things like, I'm going to read 10 books of the Bible. No, no you're not. You're just going to fail. You're, not going to, you're going to come back miserable again. Simple practices of renewal versus escape. We must remember that Jesus is the one carrying us through. And he will carry us through. But we must be with him and be near to him. Lastly, in the proverb, he says this. He says, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Listen. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Friends, we must, this is the last thing, we must faithfully endure the way of Jesus at all costs. We must faithfully endure the way of Jesus at all costs. We talk about these kind of these three buckets throughout this sermon series. For those of you who weren't here, right? Over here you have the bucket of anger. And anger is just yelling constantly. And we've all become angry at culture in some way, shape, or form, right? Because there's just crazy things happening in the world around us. We're like, how can you be so crazy? Right? It's, it's made us angry. It's made us frustrated. We're no longer listening. We're just yelling. And over here we have the, the bucket of like full acceptance and affirmation. Where again, we're no longer listening to the way of Jesus. We're just accepting everybody, right? Jesus loves everybody, so love is love, and let's just, let's just go, right? It's like it's complete um, affirmation and rejection of the way of Jesus in order to affirm the way of the world. We're no longer listening. And in the middle is straight up not listening. And in the middle is, is I don't want to know what's happening in the world. Just put me in a little bubble, wrap me in bubble wrap, um, and plug my ears and turn off the news. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't care. We stop listening to everything. We stop listening to the way of Jesus. We stop listening to the way of culture. We stop listening to the way of the world. Just, just turn it all off. We must be attuned to the way of the world and the way of Jesus. We must know where the way of the world actually at times aligns with the way of Jesus. And it does at times. They've adopted a kingdom ethic, but they've rejected the king. And we, have, we can point to that. and say, hey, hey, do you know why? You believe that women should have equal rights? Do you know where that idea actually comes from? Let me tell you the story about women, a small group of women in ancient Rome. But you see, here's the thing. Romans didn't start caring about adoption 
because the babies got angry. The angry didn't like rant on social media, like, how dare you do this? That's not why. That's not how that came to be. Rome saw this small little group of women following the greatest army that had ever existed in the known world. As they ravaged cities, this small little group of women would go in and collect the babies. And Rome saw that, and that was attractive to them. It was for an idea. No one had ever done it before. But all of a sudden, there was something in them that said, that seems right. There's something in us that says, man, those babies do have dignity. They do have worth. And, and we should value human life. The women in the day of Rome didn't receive affirmation because the church was like, well, you know, the norm of the day is, is that women have no rights. And so we should just go with the norm of the day. Whatever the, kind of the majority vote voice is, that's what we should do. Let's just, let's just affirm the way of culture. Church said, no, actually, like, we're not going to do that. But again, they didn't picket and riot and storm the Caesar's palace. Um, they just began to treat women with dignity and respect and welcome them and give them a seat at the table. And Rome said, there's something attractive about that. It took a long time. It took a long time. But Rome said, there's something attractive about that. There's a major turning point in, in Rome, right, where Constantine is led to Christ. Changed the entire world. But let's not forget, it was a woman who led him to the feet of Jesus. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have endured violence and ridicule and have been mocked as they've gone against the way of the world and they've embraced the way of Jesus. Again and again and again, as we listen to the way of Jesus and put it into practice, For 2,000 years, the mark of the church has been enduring violence and ridicule and mocking again and again and again and again and again and again. And people say, how is that possible? How can you do that? Because we, the people of Jesus, we look to our king who also, because he so loved the world, endured violence, endured mocking, endured ridicule, and continue to endure it again and again and again, all the way to the point of death. And listen, friends, listen to me. If you call Flourishing Grace Church home, I'm talking to you. This is the call on your life, to listen to the way of Jesus to the point of death. I know that's not sexy. I know it's not like, rah, rah, let's go do it. No. But that's the call on our life. And I believe that's where we're going. It's not anger, it's not acceptance, it's not ignorance, it's death. This is how Paul puts it, and I'll leave you with this, we'll wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's you and me, just, just jars of clay, meaningless clay pottery, nothing valuable, nothing fancy, just ordinary clay pottery, but in us, the followers of Jesus, We have a treasure in us to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. That's our job, to show the world, man, we're not powerful, we're not mighty, we're not Rome, we're not even America. We're just the people of Jesus, and we don't have the power. The power belongs to God, not us. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, 
but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Let me read that again. The people of Jesus are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, always, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Here's what Paul's saying. We are always carrying the death of Jesus in us. And we're always being given over to death. We who live, we who are in Christ, we who have been given the gift of life and life to the fullest, life abundantly, we're constantly being given over to death. We're constantly dying in front of the world. We're dying as we pick up the babies. We're constantly dying as we go against the, the grain of culture. Constantly dying. Not always a literal death. Sometimes it's just the death of mocking, the death of ridicule, the death of belittling. But often, it's been literal death for the church, for true followers of Jesus. It's been the Bonhoeffers who have been hung in Nazi concentration camps because they say, now that's not right. You can't continue to do this. This is the way of Jesus. Those who have been given fullness of life embrace a way of death so they might model for the world the one who died for them. If you're here this morning and you don't call Flourishing Grace Church home, maybe this is your first time ever here, man, our King and our God has given his life for you. And he's invited you to come and experience new life, full life, to be reborn in a new way, to experience a new kingdom ethic with a brand new king and to walk in that for the rest of your days but it will be unlike the rest of the world. We are people who have rejected all of that, and we leave it all behind for the sake of following the one that we love. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you this morning, and we delight in you. You are our treasure. You are our joy. You are our peace, and you are in us. It is not our power. It is not our strength. It is not our might. We are not a strong people. We are not a powerful people. We are not a mighty people, but you are a mighty king and a mighty God, and you live in us. And so we rejoice in that this morning. We trust in that this morning. We put our hope in that this morning. We rest in that this morning. Would you give us rest? For those who've come in weary and battered by the world, would you renew them this morning? Would you reset their mind and their hearts this morning on you? Would you remind them of the power that is within them? And for those of you in this room who have not come to you, who have not given their life to you, have rejected your way in order to chase the way of the world and they've come in here this morning weary and lost and dark, knowing that they need the light of the world, 
knowing that there's something different in the person that has invited them today, where they surrender their rights, surrender their way of life, and maybe for the first time look into the eyes of the King of Kings and know true peace. Would you woo us with your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love? Would you lavish it upon us once more? Praise things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus.